0: So some of you might know, not know this about me, but I was part psychology major in college, and I was reading uh, about a study that some psychologists did on some college students. It's really interesting. So they take a group of college students into a room, and there is a bowl of radishes on one side of the table and a bowl of cookies on the other side of the table. And there's two groups. To group one, they say, you may only eat the radishes. Now, some of you might love radishes. I actually grew up eating radishes fresh out of my grandma's garden, Uh, like plain, not on anything, not with anything, just eating radishes. I haven't been able to find radishes that are so sweet, although maybe Stony Hill Farms, uh, our friends being in Abigail, grow sweet radishes. I'm not sure. I'm excited to find out. But uh, for a college student, typically, radishes aren't your go-to food. To the second group, they say, you're going to eat the cookies. And then tomorrow, both groups, were are going to ask you what you remember about the taste of the radishes and the cookies. So they're, they're kind of giving these students a cover story to why they're tasting these two different foods. And they, they let them sit in the room for several minutes, several minutes longer than might be necessary, just so that the radish group has to watch the cookie group eat and enjoy these delicious homemade cookies. Now, what happens next is they take the, the radish group and the cookie group into another room. They don't know that this is a related study, but they say to each group, we're going to test you against high school students, OK? So now the college students are feeling like, OK, got to really show up. And we're going to give you a puzzle, and you're going to basically, they give them this geometric shape. in uh, the the, the goal is is to trace this shape without retracing any lines and without lifting your pencil. Now, which group do you think works harder at this puzzle? Something to know is that this is not a test of intelligence because this is an unsolvable puzzle, unless you cheat. If you search the internet for how to do this, there's a way to cheat. But uh, by strictly following the rules, you can't solve this, this problem. You might be thinking to yourself, oh, the radish people, because they've shown that they have more persistence. They can keep themselves from eating the cookies. But you're wrong. The radish group was only able to keep at the problem for about nine minutes on average. The cookie group could go on for 18 minutes almost twice the time as the radish group. Why could the cookie group keep at the puzzle for almost twice as long as the radish group? Well, the answer to that is actually uh, talked about a little bit in this book called Switch by Chip and Dale. No, Chip, that's not right. Chip and uh, Dan. Chip and Dan Heath, right? The uh, people are laughing at at, in this room, there's not very many people but they're laughing at me. The tech crew is laughing at me. Okay, Chip and this book, uh, Chip and Dan Heath talk about this and they they talk about how our motivations work and how change works. Something interesting they say is that uh, knowledge doesn't change behavior. So keep that in mind. the, uh, they go on to explain or, or show a picture of our brains that explains this behavior. So you can show that picture right now. This is your brain, an elephant and a rider. Here's the, re, uh, here's the reality. And John Haidt, uh, a, U, a psychologist from the University of Virginia, Talks about this. He says, Your brain is made up of two independent systems the writer or the rational side and the elephant or the emotional side. Now, you might be thinking that the writer is in charge because it seems like, you know, the writer steers the elephant. But as soon as the writer and the elephant disagree, you know who wins the argument? The elephant because the elephant is stronger. The rider might be able to yank and tug for a while, but eventually the elephant will prevail. And so what happens with the radish group and the cookie group is that the rational side of the radish group had already been tired out. This might be happening to you uh, at home these days where you're... You're rational or logical, or the, 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 the side of you that tries to control your heart gets worn out over a day of stress. There's no time to recuperate, right? There's no commute back home. And so your kids come into the room, or your spouse comes into the room, or your roommate comes into the room, and you're already fried, and so you, you lose control, and your elephant starts to trample around the room. Now, I I load this. I I want you to think about the makeup of your being, right? Like elephant and rider as we read this from Psalm 139. This is one of my favorite psalms. This is a psalm that at one time in my life I committed to memory, which is not a small feat because this is a pretty long psalm. So I want to warn you about that. But I also want to warn you about a, a part of this psalm that is a little bit maybe offensive to our modern uh, sensibilities. The psalm actually turns violent, and I want you to listen very carefully to that violent part. We're not going to be talking about that today. In fact, uh, for the first part of this coming week during our morning reflections on Facebook, we're going to stay focused on Psalm 139, and I'll talk a little bit more about it. But notice that this, uh, this violence that's coming out of David isn't necessarily showing us the attitude of God, but it's reflecting a reality of what's going on in David's heart, right? David is simply being honest and, and maybe uh, even crossing over some lines. But like I said, we won't get into that. I think Psalm 139, though, is, is good for the soul. So I just invite you to maybe close your eyes, settle in, and let these words wash over you during this uh, somewhat you know, intense, uh, amped up Time of of the stay at home order. So, this is a prayer attributed to David. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in, behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked away from me who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent, your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord? and abhor those who are in rebellion against you. I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Good stuff, am I right? We are in a series right now called I'm Not Okay. And one of the things I want you to leave with as we have just read this psalm is that God knows you at your best and he knows you at your worst. He knows those parts of you that are visible and he knows those parts of you that are hidden. And still... He says, I will be with you and I will lay my hand upon you. I will comfort you. I will not abandon you. You can run from me, but you won't get far. Not to punish you, but to be with you and to love you and to know you. That thing that we are all desperate for is to be deeply known and accepted. But what we are trying to move us toward in this series, I'm not okay, is is first of all, self-awareness. So this series is both an invitation into self-awareness, but also into transformation. And these two things go together. You can't have one without the other. So what I want you to do, wherever you're at, at home, say this out loud, I am not okay. And now... Like look at someone who you're sitting with or if you only have pets in the house, you can talk to your dog or talk to your coffee or whatever uh, and now say out loud, you are not okay. That maybe didn't feel so good if you just had that said to you. But here's what I want you to say next. But it's okay. I'm not okay You're not okay, but it's okay. And the idea here is that to be transformed, to get to that place of being okay is a process. It is a lifelong process. There will always be things in us and about us that are not okay. But the only way you get to that place of flourishing, the only way you get to that place of wholeness is to first admit and come into the awareness of just how not okay you are. I want to read those last two verses from one, Psalm 139 to you again Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way. Everlasting. I think this is an interesting picture of what it means to be human because it speaks to both the heart, right? God says, search me and know my heart. Actually shine a light on me. Open it up. Test me and know my anxious thoughts, right? The rider and the elephant here. But then see if there is any offensive way in me. Or this this idea of way that literally kind of points to the journey of your life is like a manner of being. Not exactly behavior, but how do you show up? How are you around other people? And of course, that is actually a product of how the mind and heart interact. I think it's especially profound here that... While the psalmist here says, see if there is an offensive way in me, in other words, like like open up and, and reveal whether or not I've been offensive during this time, it doesn't ask the question, if I have been anxious. It doesn't say, have I been anxious? See if I have been anxious. No, it assumes that each of us has some level of anxiety that we're having to deal with. It may be heightened in this time. It may be revealed in this time where the pressure is up and the togetherness is all the time. But the question is not, see if there is any anxious way about me. The question is, or, or the, the invitation is, God, just know my anxious thoughts. I'm going to open up my anxiety so that it can be seen by you. It, it, it links together this idea of being and behaving, or, or heart, mind, and, and manner. And I think, I think it also shows that there's hope. Like, there's actually a way to be where we are less offensive uh, than, like, we can feel anxiety without letting that anxiety take over. And this, this word offensive is also interesting, just as you look at the Hebrew. Um, it's not so much an, uh, an offensive offense toward God as it is a way of being harsh, wicked, causing pain, right? You can behave in a manner that is harsh or wicked or causes pain, and that is another way this word can be translated, uh, often comes from idolatry, where we take something that is good and make it ultimate. We make it the, the thing that we orient our lives around. Whenever something takes that place that is not God, it will ultimately lead to our... Uh, us being harsh, or or cause pain, causing pain to others. This idea of having both like emo- emotional and rational parts of our being is obviously not a new one. You've thought about this before. You know this, but I I've just myself started to uncover the power of the elephant. And I think often churches, uh, but not just churches, it's like Western civilization has mistreated the elephant. Uh, for some of us, and just to make a broad generalization, I think for many of us males, we either try to deny or ignore the elephant. I don't have these feelings, or, or I have these feelings, but I'm, I'm just going to pretend they don't exist. Uh, this, of course, doesn't change the fact that the elephant is in control. You just... Are less aware. You don't have the awareness that the elephant is in control. One thing that we have done is we can villainize the elephant, but let me hear, or let me say this, and please hear me. You are not the rider, and the elephant is not something that's not you. You are elephant and rider. You are heart and mind. This is part of you. This is actually what makes us different than a computer or a robot. This is is the human part of us, the feeling part of us, the loving part of us, the desiring part of us, the same part of us that feels fear and grief and sadness and anxiety. This is what makes being human worthwhile. But if we turn the elephant, if we turn our heart into the villain, then we will be tempted to subdue the elephant, in other words, push the elephant down, or to cage the elephant. Uh, maybe we say, well, I'm not going to let myself get too sad. But of course, if you, if you set boundaries on where the elephant can go, you're also setting limits on how happy you can be, the, the level of joy that you can experience. There's a flip side to this as well. Uh, there, there's some people who don't villainize the elephant. There's some people who, who believe that they are only elephant. Uh, and then what happens is the elephant actually tramples the rider. So, so don't just don't turn that on its head either. Don't, don't put the elephant on top of the rider. Like That's, that's setting yourself up for, for bad news too. But I think for most of us, because of the waters we swim in, because of the cultural waters we swim in, we're more likely to villainize the elephant and we're more likely to try and whip the elephant into submission. But you don't end up taming the elephant so much as just further wounding the elephant and that causes more chaos, and that causes more trouble. You might not be aware of it in your own self, and you might not even be aware of it in how you relate to other people. But you can't deny, ignore, you don't villainize, don't subdue, and don't cage the elephant. Let me put this in a different way, because remember, we're talking about your heart. Don't villainize your heart. Don't cage your heart. Don't subdue your heart. Don't close off your heart to the people that you love. So, what does your heart need? What does the elephant need? Your heart needs to be led. Psalm 120, or sorry, Psalm 139 says, To God, please lead me in the way everlasting. And it also needs to be healed. And you don't heal an elephant by inflicting further wounding. You heal an elephant by treating it with tenderness by opening it up uh, to others and to God to be uh, just accepted and loved and embraced so let me let me make this real here for a second. The reality is that more than likely at some point in this last week you have behaved or your manner of being has been less than ideal. It's not even like what you wanted. It's You didn't do what you wanted. There was like an autopilot. There was like a trigger. There was a switch. Uh, for some of us, this is a very predictable pattern. For some of us, it's whenever we bring up finances. For some of us, it's whenever we talk about parenting or the dishes or how much time we're going to spend with the in-laws, or it's a comment about how much time you're spending on your phone. Instead of engaging with me, I see that you're on Facebook, right? And that's a... I picking up? <laughs> Sorry about the delay in service. Um, I guess I will recap just a minute. We were talking about the ways that your, the elephant or the, your heart needs to be led, and the way that is typical uh, in our culture, and sometimes even absorbed by our church, is that we villainize the elephant. Or in other words, we villainize our own heart. And so my appeal to you is to not cage your heart, to not try and subdue your heart, to not deny or ignore your heart, because to do so is is to shut down what makes us human. And you're going to be closing yourself off to the people who you love most and who love you most. But the reality is sometimes our elephant gets poked or triggered, and this often happens when uh, something that maybe we're not even aware of from our past gets brought like r- right back into our future because of a topic that comes up and because of values that clash. So maybe it's from uh, a conversation that you're having about parenting with your spouse, or maybe it's about the dishes, or maybe it's a conversation with your parents about how late you can be out, or if you're, uh, you know, if you're an adult, you know, like how you're going to date or who you're going to date, and and suddenly the elephant starts to to get out of control, and and often this comes through in anger. But there's always something else. Uh, my spiritual director, who who I kind of have just been trying to open up my own heart with, asked me a really good question. He asked me, uh, when I say I'm feeling angry, he says, yeah, but what else? Because there's usually almost uh, a second emotion that comes alongside or that even kind of gets you to that place of being angry. And, and if you search emotion wheel, you can find this on the internet. I don't know if we can show the slide now, but it's, there's too many to really uh, even focus in on. But if you go back to that place in this week that you were triggered, where maybe you said some things you regret or you realized you had been or had become very cold, I want you to ask yourself, what else was I feeling? Because it might be that in addition to your anger, you were feeling shame. It might be that in addition to your anger, you were feeling rejection or grief. It might be that you were feeling insecurities What I'm learning is that it's very hard to know what else I'm feeling when I'm angry. It's usually at least uh, the, this is how it's begun. I, I can look back like in the rearview mirror and kind of unpack what was going on. So for me, uh, when I was in elementary school and really into middle school, uh, and this affected my high school, right? I was put down a lot. I, I've talked about this before. Like if there was a popularity ladder, I was maybe one or two rungs up from the bottom which meant that the person right above me was not very nice to me, and in turn, I wasn't very nice to the person on the rung, quote-unquote, below me. So for me, my elephant has these places of wounding, and if I feel like I'm being put down, if I feel like I'm being criticized, what happens is that shame and that defensiveness and that uh, insecurity comes rushing back and expresses itself sometimes on the attack or sometimes on the retreat. Uh, this actually this got real a couple weeks ago because uh, I'd been doing some reading on defensiveness, and I I, I was trying to f- figure out if I was defensive or not, being honest with myself. And I I found myself actually being very defensive about my defensiveness. And, you know, I'm just I'm just trying to explain what I'm thinking or or point out uh, how I'm right. But something happened in an interaction in, in our uh, in our house where Allison comes in, and for the first time in a long time, the defensiveness inside of me turned mean. So usually I'm very, like, chill when I'm defensive, but you know that scene in Lord of the Rings where Gandalf says, "Bilbo Baggins, don't think of me as some conjurer of cheap tricks, and like... The atmosphere changes, and he gets big, and Bilbo gets scared. I I felt that happen. Like, my heart just went there, and all of a sudden, I realized, like, oh, no, this is a problem for me. I can be defensive. I'm feeling, again, this is after the fact, I look back, and I'm like, oh, I'm feeling all those things that I felt when I was in elementary school. I was feeling... Uh, put down. I was feeling insecure, insignificant, and they, these aren't normal like emotions for me. But I, I actually I had to go to my emotion wheel, and I was like, it, it was it was a shock to me. And self awareness isn't the end game, but it's I think one of the first steps of transformation. Uh, and as as I've gotten more used to asking myself, wait wait, what am I really feeling? I can get to the place of asking myself, and who do I really want to be in this moment? How do I want to react? Whether or not the person who's talking to me or interacting with me is being purposefully malicious or not, because a lot of times people aren't trying to be mean or aggressive, but I'm making a meaning right of what the person is doing. and so. Uh, it's like pressing, pressing a wound where it's bleeding. You know, the person maybe didn't know the wound was there, or didn't realize what they were doing, but, but I'm reacting in a way that, that didn't match. And so I want to have each of you raise the possibility. Like, is it possible that I've tried to cage the elephant? Is it possible that I've villainized the elephant? Is it possible that I've tried to cage my heart? Do, do I know what's going on? In my heart, and am I willing to actually open up my heart for healing? Am I willing to, again, not not break the spirit of the elephant, but to lead the elephant, to lead my heart? We're going to start or take a step toward doing this in our life groups. Uh, going forward uh, through, I don't know if it'll be through the whole series, but through a good part of the series. Some of it depends on how big your life group is. We're inviting all the life groups to spend a good portion of the time, which right now is all Zoom, it's all internet-based, to have people share their stories. And part of it will be good, because it'll help the groups kind of uh link together and engage. You'll get to know people in your groups really well. But part of the invitation is for those people who are sharing to to do some self-reflection. And hopefully that will also lead to self-awareness for the present. To look back on the times in your life where you have really felt pain or really felt shame. Uh, to, To look at those formative moments, not just the bad ones, but the good ones too, like who am I and why am I this way? And I would just I would encourage each of you, especially for those of you who aren't in life groups right now. It, there's never been a zero-minute commute in the history of life groups, but you can jump on Zoom in about 20 seconds. You can find a listing of the different life groups uh, on csvineyard.org. You might even be in a place where you're feeling led to to start something, and you know. Our leaders are more than willing to let you jump into their groups now. This is a great time to jump into a group. It's part of loving like Jesus. It's part of our values to actually be welcoming to people. And if, if the night of the week doesn't work after the COVID-19 stuff passes over, like you don't have to stay in the group forever. maybe just for a season. You can find some people to hear your story. because the, the idea is, is that we will imperfectly but we will do our best to like, treat you as Jesus would, to accept you in your best and in your worst, to love you unconditionally, to not judge, to not even try and manipulate or control, but just to listen and to love. So that's the invitation. The invitation is, first of all, to self-awareness. It's an invitation to transformation, but this doesn't happen alone. You need people. Your story matters. Your story is worth hearing, but your story is also worth kind of uncovering for your own self. The psalmist here says, right, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in a life everlasting. So let's pray and let's worship God, we ask that now, even as we sing or even just sit back and relax, that some of the painful memories that we have could be brought out and offered to you to receive your healing touch. We pray that your love would permeate uh, the groups that are meeting that throughout this series, people would experience real transformation and real change, and so that we would all become less harsh and less offensive and cause less pain to those around us. Lead us, God. Lead us into your ways. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.